You're listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. You can find notes for this message along with more information about our church by visiting church2911.com. Here's our lead pastor, Rick Hand, with this week's message. Okay, so relationships. And uh, let me give you a definition of relationships and another word, okay? Relationship, the way in which people regard and behave toward each other, right? Okay, that's the relationship. Here's another word that is really close to it. Responsibility, a moral obligation to behave correctly toward or in respect of a person or a situation or whatever. And you see how those things almost kind of do fit together a little bit in a way? Let me, let, me, let me tell you this. Every healthy relationship will have a foundation of responsibility if the, and, and mutual responsibility. There is only one relationship in this world that is one-sided and it can still be healthy. And that is with a mom and a newborn baby, okay? Every other relationship has to have mutual responsibility. Both people, or, or if it's one of those uh, weird BFF triangles or whatever, you know, where you got th- three or four of you girls are really close together kind of a thing, you know. Every person in the relationship has responsibility. Let me tell you, uh, when I was, uh, I had my, had my phone and I was, uh, I, I like to swipe. I don't know, you might not know what swipe is. I love swipe, my swipe keyboard. And I was swiping, I was making a note some time ago and I was putting in relationship and, and when I was swiping relationship, guess what? It actually, it accidentally read it wrong and it put up responsibility. See, even my, my smartphone knows that relationship responsibility really close to one another, right? Every healthy relationship has a foundation of responsibility. Okay, so Dave and I have been married. Anybody? Any guesses? Any guesses? How long we've we been married? Uh, you can't, Twenty-five. Okay, our kids are almost forty. So uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, we have been married forty-two years. She's not here for me to check that with and make sure I'm right. But yeah, I think so. Forty-two years. July will be forty-three years. Let me tell you something. Forty-two years of victories and joys and successes and bumps and bruises will define a relationship. <laughs> it will. And so I have people ask me every once in a while, you know, because 42 years, now if you, th- you think about it, man, I've, I've known people married longer than that, but as we look around us today, a lot more people are saying that's a long time. So what's the what's secret to success? I'm going to give you our secret to success for a long marriage, okay, a uh, long relationship. Here it is. One focus, one vision, one purpose. Anyway, and let me tell you this. Ours is Jesus. We're going to talk about this just a little bit, okay? We don't always agree on details, but the big picture, the big focus, the big purpose in our life and our life together is Jesus, okay? And your relationship is subject to whatever you bond over, okay? So, you know, whatever it is you bond over. Now, some of you guys, I mean, you have, you bond with other guys over sports, right? Sports you like to watch, go see, visit, or, or maybe sports you like to be involved in, fishing and hunting and those kinds of things. But what happens when that BFF, that, that guy friend that you've got, when they decide they don't want to play golf anymore, what happens to the friendship? Or they don't want to go hunting anymore, or they don't want to go fishing anymore, 
or they can't for some reason. What happens to that relationship? Think about this way. Think about a couple who, uh, who bonds over physical activities. And there are a lot of them that do this. I mean, their, their number one bond is physical activity they like to be involved in. Like, you know, things outdoors like skiing or, or, or hiking, rock climbing, maybe even ballroom dancing or whatever. And so they bond over that and say, this is what makes us close. And I've seen a lot of couples like this. But what happens when one of them gets injured? What happens when one of them can't dance anymore or can't hike anymore? And that's the thing that, that you're bonded of. You're only as strong as that thing that bonds you. That's why you need to choose something that's bigger than your marriage. Something that, you know, and, and so here's the thing is, is if you choose Jesus, you know, I don't know if you know, notice this or not. Let, let, me, let me just bring this to your attention. Jesus and who he is has outlived every marriage that has ever happened on the earth. <laughs> and so if you want it to last and last, then make the bond something that's going to last. And that is going to last. And it's the strongest bond. You know, you know why God is the strongest bond for a marriage? Because he created marriage. He actually, the title of the sermon, right? He defined the relationship. That's why bonding over Christ is the most important thing. Let, let, let me show you this. This is a little example. The, the strength, the power of a triangle. Now, I, I started to pull up a bunch of notes and talk about just strength, but I just don't have time to get into that. But y'all know how strong a triangle is? How much stronger it actually even is? I mean, we think, you know, four sides got to be stronger. No, no, not in construction. Not necessarily. It's not. You think about, you think about that square and how, think about that box, you know, and how it, it but that, that triangle is so strong. So you can either choose to have luck in your marriage or have Jesus. <laughs> because pretty much, you know, you're dealing with unknowns if you're bonding over anything besides Jesus. You, don't, you just don't know. And so you're, you're just hoping whatever it is you're bonding over is going to be there. Let me, let, me, let me show this to you. Uh, Christy and Job. Now, they're not mad at each other. By sitting on opposite ends of the building right now. I asked them to actually move in the middle of the service for this purpose, okay? I'm going to ask them to stand. They're married. I'm going to ask them to stand and slowly start walking toward me as if this is the focal point of their life right now for a moment, okay? Can you tell me what's happening to them? You know, wait, stop. Now what's happening? The moment they stop drawing closer to me, they stop drawing closer to one another. Thank you, guys. Y'all can sit back down together now. Okay, appreciate that. <laughs> when you focus everything you've got on Jesus and you and your spouse draw closer to him, you will continually draw closer to each other because he's not schizophrenic. Jesus is... He, he's got one personality. He has one place. He has one thing. He has one vision. He has one purpose. All, he is one. And so as you draw closer, it doesn't matter where you're at. If you're drawing closer to him, you're drawing closer to one specific point, and you are going to get closer to one another. That's the strength of the triangle. And that's why, that's why because he created it, because he defined it, because, because of, of this thing drawing closer to him, because he outlasts all these things. That's why it's important, if you want to have a long relationship, it's important for Jesus to be at the center of that relationship. Okay, so he defined it, so let's talk about how he defined it. Now, 
Have you ever heard this? Have you ever heard this, this, next, this next statement right here? Forsake all others and keep myself only to, unto you. Anybody ever heard that before? Where have you heard that? In a wedding, right? And yeah, the words get changed a little bit and whatever and all that. But do you know where this comes from? The Bible. Anybody? The Bi- thank you, thank you. The Bible, yes, it comes from the Bible. Actually, now, it's at least five times that I can think of. And the first was in Genesis chapter 2. That's, that's right at the beginning, right? Y'all know Genesis is the first book of the Bible, right? So Genesis 2 is really early on, okay? All right, Genesis chapter 2, there's also, uh, it's also in two of the epistles, so it's at, you know, toward the end of the Bible as well, and then mixed in between. Jesus talks about it, just, he, and he kind of elaborates. It's a little short there in Genesis 2. So I want, to talk, I want to take you to Jesus' words about it. This is in the book of Matthew, chapter 19, verse 4 through 6. And he says, haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made. God did this. This marriage thing, God did this. Man, I I, I, want to preach about two hours today, okay? And now I'm not going to get you to vote. I, I want to preach about two hours. There is so much that is right here, okay? Get this. God made this he created it so it will never be what it's supposed to be if you do it your way it will never be what it's supposed to be even if you do it dr phil's way and i don't know how you feel about him but a lot of people you know dr phil said what uh, it will never be what it's supposed to be until you do it his way because god made this he created he defined relationship he made them male and female He made them male and female. I didn't say that. Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, said this is the way God designed it. He made them male and female. And he continues, Jesus does, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they're no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. So we got a lot of of the elements of what a marriage is supposed to be, right? Okay, and I, I pause there for you to just think about a few of them, but there's a really big one right there at the very end where it says you leave and you're joined together. And you're joined together how long? Well, he didn't say, did he? What, what, yeah, he did. No, he didn't say a time limit. What did he say? He said, let no one split apart what God has joined together. That coming together means I, I leave, I forsake everybody else in my family and, and everybody else. And now that doesn't mean that you never see them again, you never talk to them again, you, you, know, you never have fellowship with those people again. But you leave that, that's not number one anymore. That's talking about your ex-boyfriends or your ex-girlfriends. That's talking about your BFFs. And that means cutting the apron strings. Because now this is the most important thing. And so you have made a conscious decision to enter into this. And he says, since they're no longer two but one, Now that they're one, you've made a conscious effort to be one with somebody, you have to make a conscious effort to not be one with somebody anymore. It takes something to get in, and it takes something. You don't just grow apart. If you start growing apart, you eventually make the decision to cut it off, okay? You don't just grow apart and end up divorced one day, wake up one morning and say, oh, wait, where'd this piece of paper come from? Divorce decree. I'm divorced. You make conscious decisions to get there. You make conscious decisions to stay married to the person that, that, that you were married to and to stay close to one another, okay? This is what this is talking about. Now, let's go on a little bit further. Let's go into uh, the book of Ephesians, and uh, this is kind of digs in just a little bit deeper, all right? Chapter 5, verse 21, 22, 
and 25. I'm, I'm skipping a little bit here for, for a purpose, and I'm going to come back and read some more of that in just a moment. But he says, and further, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Out of reverence for Christ. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Now, I, I, I took out some verses, and I, I've got these sit like this because I, I, I want to explain something to you. Because this is a hot-button verse right here, right? Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. But I want you to see, I'm not taking this out of context. I'm trying to put it in context for you. I want you to see what verse 21 says, submit to one another. For husbands, this submission means this. For wives, this submission means this. So he's not saying, you wives, you got to submit, but the husbands don't have to. No, he said in verse 21, we're both submitting, but this is what it looks like. And I, listen, I, I guess it's just the chauvinist in me, all right? But I have always been harder on guys than I am on girls. I mean, back when I was a youth pastor even, I just, I, it's just, I just feel like that's what we're supposed to be. I mean, I, I, if I was a female, I'd probably be harder on the female because that's who I, am, I would be, and I would say that. But as a guy, I think, I believe we have the greater requirement, responsibility in the marriage. And l- let me show it to you here because it says, Let's talk about the wives first. Submit to one another, and for wives, this means to submit to your husband as the Lord. Now, how do you submit to the Lord? Well, right there, verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence or respect. Respect, okay, as to the Lord. Now, how is it that we live? We live for the Lord, right? So he's saying, submit to your husband just like you submit to the the Lord, that you live for him. So live for your husband. Live for your husband. But he says to the husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church because he gave his life for her. So while the wives are told, live for your husband, the husbands are told, die for your wives. And so I, I you know, again, I'm chauvinistic maybe, but I just see a lot more responsibility on my shoulders than I do on Davis. I see a lot more responsibility on the guy's shoulders because, because we're, and I think of the scripture where, where it talks about in Romans where we are to, submit ourselves you know as a living sacrifice meaning daily we give our lives daily we give our lives so if, if that's if we're supposed to do it the same way jesus did and and that way then we're supposed to guys we're supposed to daily give our lives and sometimes that's hard because i mean you feel like you're out there and you're having a battle for everything in the world right I mean, you're having a battle. You, you go to work, and man, you got a battle for everything because, they, man, they want to take your title. They want to take your respect. They want to take your money. They want to take your time off, and you have to fight for everything. When you get home, if you're not careful, you're still fighting. But when you walk in the door, it's time to remember I'm giving all of this, all that I've fought for all day long, I'm giving it up. So I've always kind of felt like the husband has the greater responsibility. Okay, let me say let me say this because the, the distinction why the distinction right here for wives this means submit to yourself submit to your husbands has the lord submit why out of reverence or respect do you know the number one need of a man is respect if you don't believe me ask a man you know a lot of times i don't care if you agree with me or not but i want to be heard i want you, you you don't have to agree with my opinion but i want you to respect it enough to listen to me that's that's what i'm talking about a man wants to be respected 
You know, I, I, I don't care, you know, even when I mess up, I just want you to understand that I tried my best. I want you to respect the fact that I gave it my all and I, I, I blew it, I failed, I didn't win. I just, wanted, I just want the respect that you knew I tried. But for a woman, for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. For a woman, her greatest need is security. And not like, you know, oh, I got to have a man keep me safe. Not, not safety, but like trust and confidence. That kind of security that she just needs to know. You know, Dave, a, a lot of times she'll ask me. Now, Dave's a worrier. She's more the cup half empty and I'm the cup half full, okay? Um, and, and so she's the worrier. But you know what? She doesn't have, I, she, I don't have to tell her this is what I'm doing tomorrow and how I'm going to fix this. She just wants to know, do you have a plan? <laughs> I just want to know you've got a plan. If i got a plan, she's okay. Just that security to know that I'm not just floating through life, you know, that, <laughs> that I've got a plan. That's all she needs. And so that's why we have different. Now, these are our two greatest needs as husband and wife. Now, everybody's different. So this, this doesn't ring 100% true for everybody. But those are our main needs. But those aren't our only needs. Then we have to take it from there and figure out how all this is supposed to work. We have to look at that person that we're married to, and we have to say, what is it they need? What is it they need today? What is it they need out of me? They're struggling. Man, thank God I've got a wife like that. I love it when she realizes I'm struggling, and she doesn't even come to me and say, Rick, you're struggling. Let me tell you what to do. Well, I'm a guy. I don't want respect. I don't want her to tell me what to do. She just slides into the place that I need her to be, and she does what I need. I love having a wife like that. Now, I'm going to pause right here. I'm going to let all you women get your cell phones out and get your cameras ready because you're going to want a copy of this next slide that's coming up, okay? If you don't get it, maybe you can find it. You're going to want this one, all right? This one's tweetable, all right? Here we go. All right, let's go ahead, Kevin. Let's read this one. God did not create woman and then say she needed a man. God created a man and then said he needed a woman. <laughs> Can I get an amen from the ladies? Can I get an amen from the men? God knew I needed a wife. God knew I needed a wife. And, uh, and he gave me a good one. He gave me a good one. I'm pausing. I'm letting you ladies take a picture. Uh, make sure you get that right. Where, where, where's this come from? Um, y'all ever heard this term? Drives me crazy for people to say, God made Eve a helpmate. Y'all ever heard that? That's not what the Bible says. It's not helpmate. It's help meet. What? <laughs> if you've always heard helpmate, you're wondering, what is a helpmate? Glad you asked. Okay, let's go to Genesis. Throw this one at you. Okay, Genesis 2, 18. This is King James because this is where this came from, and I'll explain that, okay? The Lord said, this is when God creates man, the Lord said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him an help meet for him. King James, let's see, an help. I mean, they, they, they even messed up that, right? An help. That's just the way they talked back then, an help. Sometimes I do say uh, an humble person. You know, I do sometimes use that for an H, but there you actually say and they say, and help, and help. We got ladybugs on the screen today. Um, and, and help meet for him. Okay, so what does that mean? Okay, meet there. Now, th this, was, this was almost 500 years ago, I think, yeah, 400-something years ago, that uh, King James, 
that the Bible's named after, he commissioned a bunch of men to take the Hebrew, uh, Aramaic, and, and uh, Greek text and to translate it into English so the co common people would be able to understand it. And then we get words like where so forever, whatever, and all that kind of stuff, these and thous and all those things, right? And we get all that. And so it's, it, it's sometimes hard to understand. But this word right here, meet, was a word they used to mean suitable, that we don't use it that way anymore. But that's what it means, a help suitable for, okay? Uh, the words are uh, Eitzer and Konegdo, all right? That, that's what the two Hebrew words are there. And listen, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, so please don't hold my southern uh, accent against me about that, okay? But Eitzer and uh, Konegdo, help and meet. Okay, uh, here's, here's kind of a, an explanation of them. Next slide for me. It means to help your spouse grow, help your spouse flourish, help your spouse become. That's, that's what it means. In, in, in the Bible, that Eitzor, uh, a word is used 21 times in the Old Testament. And uh, really interesting to me that twice it's used specifically to describe a woman. Three times it's used specifically to describe military action. And I thank God. I thank God for a military active wife that prays for me like she's going to battle she's going to war. I thank God I've got a mom like that. That when she prays, she, she doesn't pray those five and down prayers like I mentioned last week. She, she goes to battle. Thank God. That's what this, and then the word meet, that, that connecto. It means, it means to be suitable. It means that you fit them. Okay, listen. You, you kind of hear this, right? Been hearing this for, I've been hearing this for a long time. You need to find the person that completes you, right? That fulfills you. Nope. What you need to do is whoever you've ended up married to, because that's, that's, that, that's a lie that will cause you to start questioning your marriage. You say, well, he just doesn't complete me. She just doesn't fulfill me. But what you do is you don't find the person that fulfills you. You fulfill the person that you're married to. Once you get in it, then you say, now, what do I need to do? I'm in it. So what do I need to do with it? It's just like, it's just like sex and just like love. You know, if you listen to... Our culture today, it'll say, you need to marry the person you love. Problem with that is you fall out of love or you fall in love with somebody you shouldn't have been paying, enough paying as much attention to, and then you believe, well, I don't love this one anymore, so I love this one, so I need to go marry that. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say you love the person that you marry the person you love. The Bible says you're supposed to love the person that you're married to. And so you don't find the person, or you don't marry the person that fulfills you, you fulfill the person that you're married to. So what you do is you, you figure out as you're dating and as you're engaged, you start trying to figure out, can I fulfill this person? Can I put up with whatever it is they're going to need out of me? And if you can't, don't marry them. Don't plan on changing them because come talk to me and I will tell you, it will never happen. They are who they are. The, the, the thing you're going to see is they're going to be a little more of what irritates you once you get married. They're going to be a little less of what you hope they be once you get married because they've been cleaning up really good to get you out on a date. <laughs> you know. But once life becomes everyday and all that, a lot of those things go away and a lot of those things change. I've got, I've got one more last thing to throw at you. And uh, we'll wrap this up. But I, I want to say this. We've been talking, in our first sermon series this year, we talked about follow. We're still talking about follow. If you want to have a great marriage, 
Don't do it your way. Follow. Follow his way. Use that example again, again. If your refrigerator breaks down, what do you do? Do you go get the instructions for the dishwasher and try to figure it out? No, I mean, I mean, if your car breaks down and if it's something small or something little happens, and so you reach over in the glove box, right, and you get that manual out and you start looking and say, what am I not doing right? We have a manual. And the manual's for, I mean, I mean, we do that with everything else in our life. I know some of you, you Google instead, right? And I know some of you say, well, I don't need to read the instructions, right? Well, that's what most of us do with our marriages and our other relationships, is I don't need to read anything. You know, my mom, my mom is 82 years old, and I don't, I don't know how, how much longer we're going to have her with us. I hope a long time, because she's like me. We're not getting old. I mean, that's, that's something I got, I got from my mom. We're not getting old. She's not getting old. She's just 82, right? And we're not getting old. But one day when my mom passes away, I don't know who's going to be the person that's going to stand up there and preach the funeral, but my mom has already preached her funeral. When my mom and dad got married, now I, I'm, I'm leaning a little bit into the not yet marriage here a little bit, so listen to me. When they got married, my dad was not a Christian. You might not know that because he became a pastor. And uh, when he became, uh, when they got married, thank you, um, my mom started praying for him. Let me tell you, if you, if you aren't yet married and you're dating a non-Christian, you need to start praying now. Don't wait to get married, okay? And um, she prayed about a dozen years before my dad ever got right with God. Now, he had gone to church a lot. He, had, he knew a lot of scripture and all this before he got right with God. And we sometimes have joked that she prayed too much because she was just trying to get him in church, but he went all the way to being a pastor, you know, and she just, <laughs> you know. And so my mom is married to an administrative bishop, I'm sorry, a, 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 um, a bishop, licensed bishop, ordained bishop, that's the word I'm looking for, an ordained bishop. And they have a son who is a pastor now and has been, has been in ministry for over 30 years. Talk about myself, okay? Um, obviously, in case you didn't pick that up, that my mom's got a son and that's a pastor. In case, just making sure we're connecting the dots for you guys. And every, the other two sons and all three daughters-in-law, I, I, I'll argue this, this with anybody, but they are in the membership of their churches. They are backbone people of their churches. And they have three grandchildren who, along with their spouses, are serving in ministry in local churches. And unlike today, where mom and dad are home because dad just got out of two and a half months of rehab and, and uh, she's been sick this week. But every day, unless someone is sick or out of town, all 30 of their family now, it's grown to 30. Every single one of them is in a church somewhere every Sunday worshiping Jesus Christ. She's preached her funeral. Not, not because she did what felt right, but because she followed the instructions. Because she knew that Jesus defines marriage, and following that, that's where this came from. Might be a little hard to, to preach all this if mom was sitting there. She's just, she's just watching and listening, maybe. Might not even be this morning. 
but because of that. I, 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 I tell you that because I want you to know it ain't going to happen just because you want it to happen. You've got to grab the instruction manual and you've got to start living your marriage based on the instruction manual. Now, I can't close. I said I got one more thing. I can't close a sermon on marriage. And listen, I was going to be preaching this a week ago before Valentine's, but we kind of kept moving, follow sermons over and adding more. And so we got, and I started to think, well, it's after Valentine's. Do I need to preach on marriage? And, and, and then I thought, well, yeah. <laughs> you know, we don't, we don't just act like we're married at Valentine's, do we? Or at least I hope we don't, right? So, okay, but I can't, I can't share. And, you know, I don't, I don't preach this very often here. So I can't share in marriage without talking a little bit about sex also, okay? And I think my wife figured out I was going to mention this today, and she has somehow found somewhere else to be in the building. I guess she's watching babies or something. <laughs> I promise you, today is going to be PG. I have been R before. Today's going to be PG, I think. Today's going to be PG. Let me, let me read you some scripture right here, okay? Um, Go with me, follow me, if you will, there, um, Kevin. Uh, th these are more of those verses that I skipped a few minutes ago. I told you I was coming back then. Talking about men, we, we should submit ourselves to our wives. How does this, what does this look like for us? Do it like Christ did. He gave up his life for her. That's where I stopped earlier, remember? He gave up his life for her. He gave up his life for her, talking about his church, his bride, to make her holy and clean not eloquent and elaborate, holy and, quaint and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this so that he could present himself to her. Think about it. Now, this, they didn't do marriages, like, weddings like we do them, but just think about it. She's coming in that back door, and she's got on that big, big white pretty dress and everything, and, and it's like, you know, I, I, presenting her to myself right here. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church, without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Clean and holy, clean and holy, clean and holy. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. Okay. Um, everything. If you go back to the Old Testament, we, we see this in the Old Testament too, but if you go back to the Old Testament, there's some stuff in there I don't understand. You don't understand. I mean, I know, we, we talk about this, and people ask, and they don't understand. Some of that weird stuff about it, if a man and woman are having sex and they're outside of the city, well, she doesn't, she's, she's not to be judged because she might have screamed, nobody heard her. I mean, you know, it's like, okay, uh, I, I kind of figure this, but some of this is just kind of weird. You know, a way a man should treat, his, the way he acts toward his virgin, talking about how you should treat, you know, your, your spouse, that kind of thing. So there's, there's some of that I just don't understand exactly, but here's what I get is everything the Bible says about sex can be wrapped up in this. It's supposed to be clean and it's supposed to be pure. This is the way sex is supposed to be. The sexual relationship. All right, let me, let me tell you a story real quick, and I, won't get, I can't tell you the whole story, but I'm going to remind you of some of it. Esther chapter 1, there's a king. I'm not even going to mention his name. I've, talked, I've called his name several different ways. I'm not even going to mention his name. doesn't need to be mentioned. And uh, he, has, he is so full of himself, he has a six-month party. Toward the end of the party, he invites a bunch more people in, and he makes a rule that alcohol is unlimited. Nobody can cut anybody off. You know, he's just inviting everybody to get drunk. I mean, he's just telling everybody, the king declares, get drunk, okay? In the middle of all this, he's already full of himself. I told you that, right? He plans a six-month party. In the middle of all this, he finally says, hey, go tell the queen to get gussied up. Now, he doesn't say gussied because it's in the Hebrew back, you know. The, go get the queen, tell her to get gussied up. 
eloquent and elaborate. That's not what Scripture says. It says clean and holy. He says, go tell the queen to get all gussied up. Bring her in here. Let's show her off how pretty she is. He, brings, he wants to bring her in like she's his possession. Let me show you what a beautiful wife I got. He wants to bring her in and show her off like a trophy. Now, guys, let me tell you. I've, I thought about this past couple of days, and I have to just say, most all of us in this room got us a trophy wife. Thank God, I got a trophy. But I didn't get a trophy to show off. I got a treasure because God blessed me with a treasure. And I don't have time to tell you how his queen responded and go into all that. You read it this afternoon, Esther chapter 1, it's awesome. But I tell you this, she had a lot more beauty. She, she was supposed to be a really beautiful woman on the outside, but she had a lot more beauty on the inside by the way she responded is why I know that the way she responded because here's the problem he treated her like a possession or like a trophy when she deserved to be treated like a queen now that's good that's good and that's what the Bible is trying to tell us here now this is not just about the way men treat women this is about the way we treat our spouses and our future spouses is that they deserve to be treated like brides not a lot of words that if I use right now we'd have to change the rating of this sermon that they don't deserve to be treated that way clean and holy pure and holy those are the those are the words he uses and I don't know what kind of man it is that's got to parade his wife around so that everybody ogles her so that he can feel like something or what kind of woman does that because that's not treating her like a queen or treating him like a king so let me say this before I call the worship team up to you not yet marrieds okay is let's talk about premarital sex here for just a second I told you it's gonna be PG don't get worried don't get, Nobody has to get up and go to the restroom right now. I'm not going to make this bad, okay? But when you are having sex with someone that you have not yet married, you haven't yet married them, meaning that things can change. People have left the church in the middle of the ceremony. Y'all saw the movie, right? Okay, but that, that was just a movie. But that happens in true life. People leave in the middle so it doesn't happen until it happens not until you put a ring on it and i'm not talking about that first one or the second one. i'm talking about the real ring you know the, the the wedding ring until then so until then that that's that's what makes it so so if you're having sex with someone who is not your queen or your king yet then you are potentially having sex with somebody else's queen or somebody else's king and if we're supposed to be doing that then we're not when we do it. God has called us to cleanliness, holiness, and purity. If you have questions or problems or uh, doubts or wonder, anything else, please ask me. Let's talk, okay? But this is how God laid it out. We have an instruction manual, and your marriage can be the most awesome marriage in your family.
you can be an example to everyone around you if you'll follow the instruction manual. Thanks for listening to the Church 2911 Sermons Podcast. If you have a need, we would love to pray with you. You can connect with our prayer team by emailing prayer at church2911.com or by texting 205-476-2911. You can learn more about our church by visiting us online at church2911.com and by connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram at church2911. We hope this message has encouraged you and reminded you that God loves you and has an amazing dream for your life. As always, we dare you to dream.